Well, good morning. Um, this is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture uh, coming from Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, 11 through 32. So listen as I read. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and began, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slave, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they gave and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when it, he came and approached the house, he heard music and dance dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. You have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back, you have who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Let us pray. Dear Lord, it is praise you and thank you as always for the gift of your word and invite you to be among us. And may all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, this passage is one that is familiar to many as even people outside the church. It's, it's referred to as, as the prodigal son often. And there's themes in it and phrases in it that we pick up and, and use a lot. But I want us to think about some ideas from the text. But as always, it's important to, to get the context. And, you know, almost, I guess, about a, a year ago, we, we looked at the first half of, of this um, parable. Because you see, in, in Luke 15, it is actually all one parable. There's one parable with three stories. I'll briefly just, just set them up. Because if you begin reading at the beginning of, of Luke 15, you'll, you know, it's Jesus is, is with the, the tax collectors and the sinners. And the tax collectors who cheated their own people and were in cahoots with Rome. And, and the sinners, the people who, who, who couldn't go to the temple, either they, they didn't do right or they lived a lifestyle that wasn't worthy. They, the sinners and the tax collectors, they were, they were labeled. And that's who Jesus is, is with and teaching and hanging out with. And then kind of in the back of the room comes in the Pharisees, you know, scribes and the Pharisees that are grumbling among themselves. And they're asking that question, you know, how can he hang out and show hospitality and eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus senses their, their, their grumbling and their, their questioning. And so he tells what it says in the text, he tells this parable. And he begins a parable. He doesn't stop talking. It's, it's one parable with three stories. And the first story of the parable is a story of a shepherd who loses a sheep. He has a hundred sheep, and he loses one. And he leaves 99 sheep, and it says in the text, in the open country, and he goes to search for the one sheep. And when he finds it, he has a celebration. Now, some things that are important in the text, um, kind of the major thing, there's a lot there and I won't go into, but one of the important things is it says in the text that he leaves the 99 sheep in the open country. He doesn't leave them in a protected pen or in, in an enclosure or under the control of some other shepherd. You know, you watch my sheep. Because, see, that's important in the text because if he left the sheep in, in an enclosed area and protected, then he's got nothing to lose. He's just being a good businessman to go see if I can find this lost sheep because that would be a wise investment. I need to go do that and I need to protect these sheep. But here, it's the fact that he leaves... He would leave the 99 sheep in the open country to go search for the one. As I've said before, we would say, you know, one out of 99, not so bad. You know, cut your losses. But it's important that this shepherd will risk everything. Risk his business, risk the 99, risk it's probably his livelihood, how he feeds his family. will risk everything for the one lost sheep. It's important to the story. So he risks everything, goes and finds his sheep, and when he comes back, has a celebration. Well, then the next story is a woman who has ten valuable coins. They're very valuable. Each one is worth about you know, ten days' wages or, or more. But she loses one in her house. So she tears her house apart looking for this lost coin. And when she finally finds it, Again, 
She has a celebration. And it's worthy of a, of a party and a celebration. And then that has prepared the way for the third story in this parable. And that's where we pick up this morning and what we read. The parable, as we say, we often call it the parable of the lost son or the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. It might be more appropriate to call it the parable of the lost sons. Because it's important to know that one son is lost like a sheep who wanders off. The other son is just as lost. He just happens to have never left the house, like the coin. Coins don't lose themselves, and coins don't ever leave the house. That he's, he's always been there at home, but he's just as lost. This is one of the keys of this passage, and to remember its context, and that's its full context. But there's some nuances in this, in this story, in this parable, this third story, that I want us just to, to note, take note of. It says here that this younger son tells the father, you know, I want, basically, I want my inheritance. I want what I would get if, if you were dead. I want it now. You've probably heard. It's, it's like telling the father in the ancient world, I wish you were dead. I want my cut. Now, the younger son in this culture would have probably received a third, a third of the property when the father dies because the older son would probably receive two-thirds um, because the older son would have the responsibility of, of running everything and taking care of all the stuff, and the younger son would have had one-third. So... He gets his third, but it even suggests in the text that he might even be splitting it. But either way, he gets his, his portion, and then he leaves. And he either sells it to get it for cash or takes what he can, but some of it would have been actual property or land, so he had to sell it. I mean, it's an insult. We, we, we live in a world that, you know, you think about you know, kids growing up and going off to college and even to use the term, you know, sow your wild oats or, or go off and, and we, we plan on them leaving home and hopefully not coming back. That's not the plan of the ancient world. It, families ran the household together and for generations and and kids usually stayed part of the family business and expanded and to to take your inheritance and run off it's like turning your back on your family turning your back on everything turning i don't want to be part i don't want to be your son i don't want to be anything i'm going to go and do my own thing so it's a terribly insulting. And then he goes to this uh, land, this foreign country, and says that he squanders everything on wild living. And then there's a famine. It's one of the things that, you know, sometimes we, we think about it. Oh, there's a famine and he doesn't have anything. Well, he's already squandered everything. Loses the wealth on the wild living before the famine comes. So he loses everything. And then there's this famine. And the famine comes and it says that he's, he gets so needy and so hungry, he, he kind of offers himself as a, as a 
be hired out to, to do anything, and he's sent to the field to feed the pigs. And some of you probably heard before, you know, for a Jew to be feeding pigs is just a complete insult. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't eat pork, they didn't hang around pigs, that was not clean. And someone's saying you, you just turns back on God and that religion and becomes a Gentile and is pagan and he's feeding these pigs. And it gets so bad that it says he would have liked to eat in the pods the pigs are being fed, but no one will give him anything. Now, one thing, I'll just kind of an aside, and maybe this is additional trivial information. So, but the pods, you know, it says he would be willing to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. You know, I always, I remember hearing that as a, as a child. I would always think about, you know, would you see pigs getting pig slop, you know, maybe from the show Green Acres, or if anybody remembers that, or, you know, Charlotte's Web, the cartoon, where you'd see the, you know, the slop given to the pigs with corn cobs and other stuff in it. But what's really being referred to, if referred to here uh, is the carob tree, and it's a carob pod. I got to see some when I was in Israel, and it, you know, it's a, it looks like a big, long pea pod, kind of, and there's these seeds in it, and even to where our tour guide picked one up the ground and kind of told us a little bit about it, and I picked one up, and they're just hard as a rock. I mean, they're, they're not pleasant. The thing is that they're abundant in the area, but to eat them, you'd have to soak them for a long time in water, or you can grind them up, and, but for humans to eat them, you've got to do something to them because they're not pleasant. But it, they're actually known as a last resort food in a famine or for the extreme poor. That you could eat them, but it's not pleasant. It's a horrible experience. So that's what's being talked about is these dried, hard pods of the carob tree. But another interesting you know, fact about the carob tree uh, is the seeds in it, inside, they're, they're not really worth much. They're, they're very, you know, you can't do much with it, but they're, they're consistent in size and shape and weight, and that is what would be used in the ancient world to weigh diamonds. And that is why today we talk about a diamond weighs so many carats. It's talking about, in the ancient world, it was the seed of the carob tree that's in the fountain in the pod. So it's those pods that, he, that they're just not pleasant to eat. No one would want. But that's what he's willing to eat. And they're given to the pigs, but no one gives him anything. The idea that he has less value in this country than the pig. And in a famine, he probably would. People could eat a pig. So it's just, it's rock bottom in his value and his worth. But then it says he comes to himself and he realizes in his father's, his father's house that his his. The slaves, the servants are, are treated. The hired hands, are, they, they have food. They have more than they need to eat. It, he needs to go back. And some people say, I've heard scholars read and talk about, you know, the moment that it says that he comes to himself is kind of his moment of repentance. It's the moment where he's going to turn. As we said before, repentance is just to turn, to turn back 
in another direction. And he's decided, I'm going to turn back home. This is the plan. I'm going to go back and just a hired, a hired hand would have something to eat. I'm going to starve if I don't do something. I've reached the bottom. And then he comes up with a plan and a speech. And what's one of the things that you just see in Scripture is this beautiful, very human, that I don't know about you, but have you ever been that those moments that you're going to have to have a you know, tough conversation with somebody? You're, you've got to have a tough conversation with your boss or with your child or maybe with a parent or maybe a tough conversation with a coworker or, or someone and you find yourself kind of rehearsing what you're going to say because you really need to get the words right um, practicing in your in your own head or sometimes I'll talk to myself and talk yourself through it that's what he does it's so human and so real that he said well what am I going to say to my father I'll go back and what I'm going to say to my father is you know I've sinned against heaven comes up with this kind of speech, sinned against heaven and sinned against you. And I'm not fit to be your son anymore. He had rejected being the son, rejected the family, and I'm not even attempting to that. Will you just give me a job? It's this idea, you know, I can't, I, I don't deserve to be in the house, don't deserve to be a son, don't deserve to be claimed. Maybe just give me a job. I mean, I'll clean the bathrooms. Will you just give me a job? That's it. He plans his speech. And he goes back. And it says that in the text, he's got his speech ready and he comes back, but while he's still way off in the distance, the father sees him and is filled with compassion and runs to the son. And before the son can even get his full speech out, now, here he is. He's got a speech. I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I'm not fit to be your son. And that's as far as he gets. He just gets past the introduction of his, of his planned speech. And the father stops and says to a slave, get the robe, get the, most, the best robe we have and put a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf and we're going to have a celebration. It's important part of the story, the, the lostness of the, the son. But what's the idea to a Jewish-Hebrew culture, the lostness of the people and being freed from bondage to come to the promised land, and then after the exile and being spread of, of wanting to be brought back home, and over and over in the Old Testament, you will see the compassion of God mentioned. You see Jesus talk about the compassion. Yes, there is terrible consequences and results when, when you abandon God, kick God out of the mix, refuse God's protection and care and go your own way. But over and over you see the compassion in this father filled with compassion that runs to this son. Now, there's an important fact. You may have heard that before. But in the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world, Grown men generally did not run. Luke mentions men running three different times in his gospel. And now it may be appropriate for you if there was an earthquake to run from that to protect your family, or maybe if you're running to go into battle or something, but to just run to meet someone else or run for, for not a significant reason, you didn't do that. That was shameful. That was what children do not grown men. You don't run. 
Where here we see this father taking on the hope of a child and running to the son. Well, one of the other places that you see running, a grown man mentioned running, is a little bit earlier in, in Luke's gospel where Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who's cheated the city and the crowd won't let him see Jesus, he runs and he climbs a tree. That's even a little step farther, <laughs> acting like a child. He not only runs, he climbs a tree, which is what children do, just to see and get a glimpse of Jesus. So when grown men running is mentioned, it's mentioned, as I said, in, in Luke's gospel, it's important. This father having the hope and the joy of a child and the compassion of a running to this son. Before he can even get his speech out, he puts the robe on him, claims, and they have a party. Well, then you have the other son who's out in the field, and he hears the party going on and asks a slave what's, go what's happening and is told, well, your, your father uh, has his son back, your, your brother's back, and he got him back safe and sound, so he had a party. And at that point, he gets angry and refused to come in. And so the father goes out to that son and pleads with him to come in. And the statement is shared, you know, we have your, your brother back. It's mentioned a couple of times in the text, this statement, your brother, your younger brother, who was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he's found. And then at the end, that is stated again. We had to celebrate because your brother, who was dead and now alive, lost and was found. It's mentioned twice. And an interesting thing in storytelling, you would normally assume what, what has the most significance is kind of the, the final statement. You, you build up to the, the major point. And it is, it is meant for the hearer of it to say, you know, I, I would say that differently. I would probably say, you know, that, that brother of yours who was lost and is now found, it's like he was dead and now he's alive. but it's reversed. Suggesting there's something worse than death. It's being lost. Being out there lost and then being found. And found with the hope and the love of the Father. It's an important theme. But then you're just left. You don't get any more of the story, does your brother go in? And I said before that Luke in his gospel loves to build up tension. And he does. And he doesn't usually alleviate the tension. Sometimes it gets alleviated when he when you get to part two, which Luke also wrote. Acts, and as said with, before, like with the, the moment that, you know, the Good Samaritan story, which is about going and, go and do, is followed right behind with the story of Mary and Martha, which is to sit and be 
And you're left, well, I'm supposed to go and do or am I sitting and be? And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us. And sometimes the tension gets alleviated, but it doesn't get alleviated until you get to Acts. But there's moments like this that the tension never gets alleviated. He loves to build these tension moments and then just kind of leave you. Jesus does that so often in asking questions that he doesn't answer. We looked at that last week and you see it here. Because the truth is, we still live in that tension. What is the tension? Well, this loved and accepted son, the, the father doesn't go chase him down. He gets this point moment of coming to his senses, to himself, of repentance, of returning home. But then he's so fully accepted and apart, he doesn't even get to get his full speech out. Where does that leave the repentance and righteousness? And, but God's grace just kind of trumps everything. And what, How do we deal with that? But he does return home and want to live under the lordship of the Father. But then you have the, the older son who's always been there at home and done the right thing, who's told... Come into the party. What's your problem? Who gets frustrated? And I've, I have done, I have never broken one of your commandments. And I've been here, and you, you've never even given me a goat for a party. The father says, you, everything I have is yours. It's almost like saying, you never asked. Everything I have is yours. And so you're left with this difficulty. But when you read the whole parable, as I said, it's, a, it's one parable with three stories. There's two threads that are important that run through the whole thing. And we already mentioned them. One is the thread of lostness, being lost. And there's the sheep, and there's the son that are lost by wandering off and rejecting and, and by their own action and their own deeds. And then there's the coin right there in the house. And there's the older brother who's never left the house. But, but the truth is they're both just as lost. And we find ourselves sometimes in that tension. And we live in a, in a world that, that loves the answers, that loves the, the black and white answers, who's in and who's out, who's right, who's wrong. And we live in that tension the grace of God. And sometimes we find ourselves in moments of lostness that we realize, oh, how'd I get here? I've messed up again. You know, this is Lent, the fourth Sunday of Lent. You ever find yourself, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And it's a season where we think about our own sin and our own brokenness. If you ever found yourself, if you've gone to Ash Wednesday services, and we have one here at this church, and usually we put the sign of the cross, ashes on your forehead. Many people do that as a sign of penance. And you see that in the Old Testament of, you know, tearing your robes or putting ashes on your forehead. I just, my sin. But usually in those services, there's a moment of confession. There's times I've, I've had people, you know, write down sin and, and you burn it and, in moments that you confess some sin and something, 
But you ever had that moment that, that you're in that service on Ash Wednesday and it hits you and you think about, ah, you know, the, the sin that I'm really struggling with right now, I confessed it last year on Ash Wednesday. And I'm really serious and I, I want to get rid of it. Sometimes you, you, you wonder, and there's the reminder of, of God's grace. We will find ourselves at times lost like a sheep. And sometimes some, some ways we're lost, like the prodigal son here, and, and have rejected and have to find where's, where's enough is enough and find our bottom. But the grace of God runs to meet us. But the truth is there's times I'm lost like a coin. We get lost like the older brother. Sometimes we'll sit in our holy huddle and debate over theological ideas or argue over the color of the carpet or what's going to happen. Or When the father is out looking for lost sheep, our lost sons to run to. And we might be missing it. There's times that we're lost like the older brother. And lostness is a thread that runs through all three stories of this parable. And the thread of being found, lost and found. And the other piece that's so uh, exciting is celebration. I think it's good to remember in a season of Lent where we think about our own mortality and our sin and repentance and focus and think about our need to seek the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God and surrender. These are all important key things. Let's not forget the celebration. Celebration over what is found. And we build toward the, the moment and the celebration of the, the resurrection. And as I said last week, that's why Sundays aren't included in, in, in Lent when you give up something, are you? Because there are to be little celebrations of the resurrection along the journey. Because in the multitude of ways that we are lost, it's the grace of God that meets us and invites us back. And that should be, what is our celebration? Is the source of our joy. Is what gives us our strength. And I'll conclude with this. I said earlier, there are three times that Luke talks about grown men running. And the final time is when Peter runs to the empty tomb when Peter finally takes on the faith of a child to run to the empty tomb of Jesus because it is the death, the resurrection, and the empty, empty tomb that is the outpouring of the grace, compassion of God. It invites us in whatever ways that we are lost to come back home 
worthy of celebration. May that define our Lenten season. May that be a source of joy for us today. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for your word. Thank you for the subtle ways that it speaks to us. Acknowledge here, I didn't really alleviate the tension to do so. It's almost to do a disservice to this text. We're left with the question. Where, where and what ways are we lost? And what will, what will we run to? The fact that you run to us first. May that be how we celebrate. May it define who we are. May it draw us close to you. May you transform us with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.